Gather round and listen to tales of great adventure and brave heroes. Tales of daring individuals fighting monsters and claiming treasure. Tales of bards trying to get into the pants of savage beasts to avoid losing a fight. Tales of people drinking beer, eating pizza, and rolling dice. Tales of people losing their minds over the things that happen to people who only exist in their mind. This is Roland Bones, and I am Ryan Howard. Yes, indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Roland Bones with Ryan Howard. I am, of course, Ryan Howard, and I hope you all enjoyed my new intro. Uh, that is going to take the place of my improv intros that you guys have been hearing uh, since the beginning of this podcast. I basically just ran out of ideas. It was it was getting to be kind of a, a massive stretch for me to come up with a new monologue to start the show with every week, so I opted to just do one epic monologue, set it to that great theme music that I got from Trey Van Zant, Rumblin', and uh, just launch into the show like normal. Uh, so as always, uh, welcome to Rollin' Bones. Our home is Anchor.fm, but you can find us in many other podcatchers, including Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Podcast Republic, and wherever you find fine podcasts, or non-fine podcasts, much like this show. So, just a couple plugs to get out of the way here for a little bit. Uh, first and foremost, you can always find me on Instagram and Twitter at Howard underscore Ryan Gregg. Uh, I'm looking to become a lot more active on social media. Uh, well, more active on Twitter. I'm I'm already very active on Instagram, where you can see my uh, my painting, and uh, occasionally when I uh, go visit a distillery. But I'm trying to become more active on Twitter. It's hard to just come up with stuff to tweet. After a while, you just sit there and you're thinking, all right, who really cares what I have to say about anything, really? Much less D&D. There's already people out there trying to, to give their takes on role-playing games and D&D and stuff like that on Twitter. And honestly, I found it's not the best forum to discuss this stuff unless you just want short, pithy remarks, which, I don't know, I guess people want that. I, I can do short, pithy remarks on Twitter. Yeah, why not? I'll give it a try this week. Uh, that is it for my plugs. Uh, I will ask that on any of the podcast apps that you're using to listen to the show, you please give us a five-star rating or review. We're looking to reach more people with this podcast. We want the, the good news of Rolling Bones to reach all the people of the world. And the best way to do that is to get more ratings and reviews. You don't have to give me five stars if this isn't a five-star podcast for you. One star will do just fine. Just leave me a rating or review. Now, that out of the way... Got a couple more plugs I want to get in for some other people. Uh, first and foremost, Knights and Nerds Podcast. They have their new equipment. The episodes with, that they recorded with the new equipment are going to be coming out soon. And uh, I am actually going to be on a behind-the-screen episode with Tim uh, sometime in the not-too-distant future, uh, thanks to their, their Kickstarter campaign. And that is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Tim and I have a lot, of, a lot of cool ideas. I think I blew his mind at one point. We've already recorded it at the time of this recording. And he was genuinely shocked by one of the ideas that I had. And I, I think he's going to ultimately end up using it at some point for the campaign uh so it's it's it was a great time just to to sit there and talk with tim about D, &D stuff uh you guys all know how much we love tim and the knights and nerds crew and you'll hear more about it in today's episode with none other than sandra luketic of pixel opinions that's right we'll be talking to him about uh D, D and video games uh just a couple more plugs to get out of the way before then though uh the heroes guild with uh, Josh Unruh and uh, Keith Patempa is starting up very, very soon. I believe registration is already closed. I think it, if you want to get your kids involved and you're in the, the Nashville, Tennessee area, Windows already closed on that, but you can still support them. Uh, by the way, I have played the Heroes Guild RPG. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. I can't wait for them to get that thing to a point where they can sell it. If you have kids, you know, once this RPG comes out, if you have kids, this is 
this is the one to, to introduce your kids to to get them hooked on the the RPG drug as it were and then last but not least I want to uh, point you guys in the direction of someone else who gets mentioned on uh, today's episode with Sandro and that is uh, Jackie Zanto of Crawler I uh, just want to plug her her application if you're looking for a D&D group uh, in your area uh, Crawler is the application for you it lets you put in uh, what kind of game you're looking for what kind of game you want to play the systems that you know, whether you're a DM or a player or both, all the different ways to differentiate yourself from another player and find the right game for you can be found on Crawler. Go ahead and make your account today. It's completely free. It's a lot of fun. Lots of updates coming to Crawler. I look forward to seeing uh, the, the progress that Jackie makes on that app. Now, with that out of the way, let's get into today's Rent from Behind the Screen. This is going to be a short one today. Um, there hasn't been a whole lot of D&D in my life recently. Uh, the month of August was very busy for not just myself, but for the people in the, the D&D groups that I'm a part of. So there hasn't been a lot of D&D this month. Uh, I think I've played twice... And I've DM'd once in the the entire month of August. Uh, fortunately, it is coming to an end, and it looks like there's going to be a lot more time to play coming up soon. But there's a thing that D&D players get when they don't get to play D&D for a long time. And look, I'll be honest, some of us get it when we don't get to play D&D for a week. That is D&D withdrawal. D&D withdrawal can be very painful. And on, on the surface, it, it's just, it seems kind of dumb right? Like, it's a game. It's just a game. That's, my wife tells me that all the time. It, it's just a game. Why do you feel such, such withdrawal pain? The reason I think a lot of us who are into D&D kind of feel that, that withdrawal, feel that, that time when we're away from the game, I, I honestly think it comes down to how much of ourselves we put into the game. Because when you're playing D&D, you're not, it's not like playing any other board game. When you're playing D&D, you are taking on aspects of someone or something else. You are stepping into the shoes of another character. And if you get into that character like I often do and like many of my friends do, sometimes you find that you kind of miss that character. You miss that world. I mean, it's like it's like a TV show that you like to watch. You know, if you don't if you don't get to step into that world for a little bit and see it for a long time, that's you know, some, you, you start to you start to miss that world. You start to long for adventures in that world. And you know, sometimes you just need the break. You just need the escape. Sometimes life is difficult. Sometimes things aren't going well at work. You just feel like, you know, you, you feel kind of trapped by real life and you need to escape into a different world. And for a lot of us who are into D&D, D&D is our escape. I've, I've talked about this already. But while, while I'm defending the fact that, that some of us get withdrawal pain from not playing D&D, on one hand, maybe we do need to calm down. Maybe everyone else is right. And maybe we do need to take a step back, and even though we love this game so much and we put so much of our time and energy into playing it, maybe it's good for us to step away from the table for a little bit. Maybe it's not such a bad thing to let other things take precedence in your life. Maybe sometimes what you need a break from is not real life, but the game. That's up to you to decide. That's that's on a case-by-case basis, and that's depending on what's going on in your life and your own personal feelings at the time. I, I am not the one to judge whether or not you need to take a step away from the table. I can only judge whether or not I need to take a step away from the table. And sometimes my wife judges when I need to take a step away from the table, and I must admit, more often than not, she's right. More often than not, my wife is right that I put too much time and effort into D&D. So, that is going to do it for today's Rent from Behind the Screen. So, let us get on to today's episode, today's interview with Sandro Luketic of PixelOpinions.com, when we're talking about video games and D&D. I hope you all enjoy it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as promised, we have on the show with us the founder of PixelOpinions.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Sandro Luketic. Thank you so much for having me, Ryan. I'm actually a little surprised that I get to follow up Larry Elmore, but uh, it is an honor and a privilege to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that was a great, great interview. I hope all of you enjoyed it. So, Sandro... Uh, tell us a little bit about Pixel Opinions before we get into the uh, the usual questions and uh, talk about our, our topic for today. So certainly. Just... Yeah, certainly. Uh, 
Pixel Opinions is a website where we review uh, video games and movies. We are just going to be diving into an actual play uh, podcast pixels and dragons but it started about four years ago when a few friends of mine and i moved on from working at eb games and decided that we still wanted to be involved in the video game world but didn't quite know how one day i just decided to sit down and open a free website and fiddle around with it and four years later we're making pr contacts getting copies of games to review and just having fun with it awesome so that does make you uniquely qualified to talk about today's topic, which is a, a very interesting topic, one that a lot of people have talked about and thought about, and that is the intersection of video games and Dungeons & Dragons. Yes, absolutely. And I think that it's something that more people should look at the connection between because in a very unique space, it's two entities that aren't really trying to compete with one another, but play off of one another to take influences and bits and pieces to make it better for everybody involved. Now, before we dive into that, Sandro, I have to ask you the same questions that I ask everyone who comes on the show. Uh, so first and foremost, how did you get into RPGs and D&D? So that would actually be two separate questions for me because I was very late getting onto the D&D bandwagon. Uh, I started with RPGs almost exclusively as a video game term for me. Um, I had uh, cousin Alan and his brother Tom who got video games well before I did. I, you know, didn't get anything until the Super Nintendo. But I would hang out with them a lot, go over to their place. And Tom, who I looked up to a lot, he was seven years our senior. And he was just the coolest guy ever. He would be skateboarding with his friends and playing Slayer and Metallica. He was actually playing pools of radiance on commodore 64 which at the time i had no idea what it was i didn't know to this day that it was the very first licensed dungeons and dragons computer game but i saw that it was grid based it was turn based and it just seemed amazing to me but i got more into video games when i got my super nintendo with legend of zelda super mario brothers and just went from there on as for Dungeons & Dragons, that was something that happened more in late high school. Uh, I got to meeting a few people. One of them I'm still friends with, Sean. He's part of the Pixels & Dragons uh, Pixels and Dragons crew. He got me into Dungeons & Dragons when I got to high school, and I realized that while I loved video games and still do, I wanted something with a little bit more freedom and a more social aspect. And he invited me along to play some games, and I've been a fan ever since. Yeah, I also encountered the term RPG as uh, more of a video game term than a, uh, a tabletop term. I came to, uh, actually came to tabletops through Warhammer 40k and did not play D&D until just a few years ago when I was a freshman in college. Okay. I mean, I wouldn't have been too far off. Of course, this is maybe 15 years ago, but I was probably in my final years of high school, so just before university myself. And uh, the next question, what was your first game? Was it D&D? Your first uh, tabletop game? For tabletop, it was actually, now this is going to show how late I was getting on board, was third edition uh, Dungeons & Dragons that I played with those guys. Uh, unfortunately, it's not good podcast banter, but I cannot for the life of me recall what that entailed. I just remember getting into it and rolling those dice for the first time and just finding it to be a world that was completely open and, and just, just something that you could flex your mental muscle with. And uh, who was the first character you remember playing, be it your <laughs> first character or just the first one you remember? See, I remember the name of the first character I ever played, but I couldn't tell you his race, his class, what I did with the character. I just remember that the name stuck with me, Killian Firebirch. It's a character name that I, even to this day, will still sometimes use in online video games if I'm, you know, using the character creator. So, you know, the campaign doesn't stick with me at all, but the name has been with me for probably 15, 18 years now. I find a lot of people do that. Like, my first character... Uh... As everyone who listens to the show knows, is uh, Cromwell McGuinn. And so anytime I have the option to make a ranger, the name I go with is Cromwell. Sandra, describe your play style as a player. As unfortunate as it is to say, I would say it's impatient. <laughs> I tend to often play the short-tempered, short, uh, quick-to-react 
quick to dive into battle type of character who doesn't necessarily think things through. Uh, often ends up coming off as a bit of a jerk of a character most of the time, uh, which is why I've actually tried to tell myself in this most recent session, which we are recording, that I'm going to be an overtly optimistic character and I'm just going to try and completely break out of my boundaries. Would you say that your tendencies run towards a murder hobo? I wouldn't say that. Um, I am very quick to act, but it's not necessarily just to kill everything. Uh, If there's a room that might have a trap in it, obviously I can't try to murder it, but I'm not going to really be exploring at the doorway. I'm probably the one that's inside triggering something, Mm -hmm. which probably doesn't sit well with my teammates. So you have the polar opposite play style of Matt from Knights and Nerds. Yes. (laughs) I am not analytical. I just quickly act, sometimes positively, sometimes negatively, because, you know, there can be situations where there isn't a trap in that room, but Mm -hmm. you spend a lot of time in that doorway trying to figure out if there is. I've just saved us a few minutes by diving in. I I just have to tell you this story because this is something that would have driven you as a player absolutely nuts. In my first game, not the first session that I played of the game, but the first game I ever played, it was me and my friends, all those people that you've heard from uh, podcast past. We had a situation where we had to get on a boat and go explore an island, and we spent a solid hour and 15 minutes arguing over where to get a boat when our dm had offered us a boat for free i might have just stood up and walked out of the room for a while there come come back after an episode of something on television when it's been figured out because if a boat is just offered to you take it Mm -hmm. well one of our players uh austin from earlier on in the podcast, he uh, he had the sailor background. And so as part of that, you can always find a boat for hire. And so our, our DM was like, okay, you can, you can find a boat. You can find someone who's going to be willing to give you passage. But Austin, for some reason, had he found this item in the, the DMG called a foldable boat, which is just, it's a boat that you, it, it's like a D&D version of a life raft. And he just wanted one. So he's like, we need to get a foldable boat. We're all like, what would we do the foldable boat how much does that even cost and so he looked it up and it was some absurd amount of gold and we we're like there's no way we can do that let's just find a boat and so we just argued about it for an hour and 15 minutes see i'd be on the side <laughs> of the argument not why do we need to find a foldable boat but why don't we just take the one provided to us yeah sometimes yeah. the sometimes the best solution is the simplest and so uh sandro in your time playing what is the most fun game that you've ever played well as i said earlier i've had a big gap in my Mm playtime, and I don't really recall a lot of the games that I've played. I more recall a lot of scenarios that were necessarily fun or unfun. Um, So I don't think of a game, but I do remember a lot of just individual scenarios and occurrences. Can you think of one that was particularly awesome or, you know, that, that made you feel good as a player? So I did, and it was one where our DM actually let us fail forward. We were playing a campaign where we were still fairly new to the game and we did have a tendency to fight everything that came our way. Uh, our DM told us ahead of time, you know, moving forward, there are going to be some encounters that you're going to want to sneak by or try to avoid. We came across an ogre in a forest who was not paying attention to us whatsoever. I saw this as a red flag and thought we should avoid it, but my colleagues decided that they're going to run in and attack it, and both were promptly killed. I ran out of options because I knew that I was going to be outmatched and completely destroyed and decided to use a scroll that I was not trained in and had to do a use magic device roll um, for a scroll that I couldn't actually cast and rolled a complete failure. I think it was a one, not 100%, but it was a complete failure. Uh, Our DM then rolled on a grid of possible outcomes and it landed on Rain of Torches. (laughs) <laughs> which again he decided to be fair because he didn't want to compl- like a total party kill mm-hmm. and decided that that rain of torches was going to fall on the ogre and defeat it I then looted the ogre, of course, dragged my friend's corpses to town, got a cleric to res them or something like that and the this is where the table talk part comes in because they kept grilling me 
<laughs> about what I might have looted off of the ogre, but their characters couldn't have known that. So I just kept telling them, I didn't have time, he was buried under torches, and I had to save you guys, and kept the loot for myself. But must have been three or four sessions after where they would say things like, yeah, I can't believe that ogre didn't have anything on them. It just <laughs> goes to show, yeah, you, you can't know everything that your character, or your character can't know everything that you do. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And so can you think of maybe a situation that wasn't as fun, a situation where maybe a bunch of morons were arguing about a boat? Um, Not necessarily a boat, but when you are fairly new to tabletop, which in this party that I was in primarily in high school, we, you know, we would do different campaigns, but it was always the same guys. Everybody but the DM was new to the game. So we would make a lot of mistakes. I had a friend who decided for the first time he was going to play a caster. And that opened a whole new world of possibilities for him where he normally just played you know, barbarian fighter, something that was just very, very basic in his play style of, you know, hit things that move. He decided that once he got the fireball spell, that would be a good idea to never think about his surroundings before (laughs) casting it. And I can think of two in particular. One, we were fighting in the middle of a forest and he missed the fireball spell entirely and then just thought his turn was over. And when he was told to roll a reflex save, he was confused as to why. And our DM said, Because of the forest fire that you just started. In that same campaign, we did have a period of time where we were kind of exploring an underground sewer type area. Our DM advised us that was filled with almost like a methane gas. Long story short, we were shot out of there like a cannon because he, again, decided to use his fireball. Oh, that is great. Yeah, but those are the types of things that you just have to have fun with. Because if you're too serious about it, it, that game probably would fall apart entirely. Yeah, there's this odd tendency among people who play casters to just, once they get the fireball spell... That's their utility spell. That's the, that's what they do. They're, they're the fireball machine. The best part, too, is that our DM had a very evident tell in that if he asked you, are you sure, after you said that you were going to do something, it was like he was giving you a chance to rethink it. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, these guys didn't pick up on it. But I did every time. And I knew this is not going to end well for us. But I usually let it happen because my character wouldn't know that. Yeah, I'm I'm currently running a game for a bunch of new players, a bunch of people who uh, either this is their first campaign or this is their first full campaign. And so I rely very heavily on, are you sure that's what you want to do? Yeah, and they need to quickly learn that if you ask them that, just take a minute to think about what you said or where you said it. Now, there have been a lot of great RPGs out there for a lot of different fictional universes. So, Sandro, if you could make an RPG system for any fictional universe that doesn't have one or doesn't have one that you know of, what would it be? See, I was really looking forward to you asking this question because I hear it on every episode. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to give a unique answer. But then Candace gave my answer. So I'm not going to say Ninja Turtles, even though that would be my first choice. I'm going to pivot to something else that was big in my childhood and say the X-Men universe. A a specific X-Men game would be a ton of fun. Well, I think that things like the mutant abilities would allow themselves to play out with a lot of different characters. If you think about that 90s cartoon show, which is what I was raised on, and probably a lot of people as well, if they weren't already in the comic books, you could have Gambit almost like your your rogue type. Wolverine is clearly your barbarian whenever he berserks, right? It, it just, it feels like it would lend itself to a lot of the rules to be converted over and give you the freedom that you still get from a game. I will say, though, if you're looking for a like really fun superhero RPG that you could pretty easily make make your X-Men characters for uh, Steve Kenson's Mutants and Masterminds. Fantastic game. Okay, I'm not familiar with that one, but I'll have to look it up because mm-hmm. nowadays there's so many. Yeah, it was uh, It's it was published by Green Ronin, and I actually had Steve on the show uh, several episodes back to talk about it. Oh, I must have missed that one, but I will definitely have to go back into your backlog and, and listen to that one. When you read the material for Mutants and Masterminds, you can tell that it was very obviously written by someone who understands the structure of comic books it is it is a very good game as far as like details for how sessions go and how characters are created is concerned awesome and now sandro we come to the final of the introductory questions if you could put anything on a t-shirt what would it be so i did do some thinking about this one knowing that it was coming up mm-hmm. and decided to stick with the topic 
of this episode thematically. I would put a controller on a t-shirt that about halfway through starts to fall apart. And of that falling debris, some of it is turning into dice. And on the t-shirt, it would say, my other controller is a set of dice. Interesting. That'd be pretty cool. I'd wear that shirt. I think I would too. (laughs) If anybody's listening and wants to do it, by all means, go ahead. So diving into the topic at hand, uh, the the first question that I want to ask, there have been a lot of fantastic video games made specifically with the D&D license. So I just want to ask you, of those games, which one is your favorite? I think primarily for nostalgia reasons, it would have to be Neverwinter Nights. I actually purchased a new laptop to be able to play that one back in the days where laptops were not cheap and I didn't have that much money, but I saved up. And I think a big part of it was while I was playing a lot of RPGs on consoles at the time, it was kind of my first PC game that I played as I got to try it on a copy at a friend's house. And I just remember in the first level going out into the town that was being you know hit with the plague as per the first game and seeing like a pile of, of corpses and grabbing a torch and taking it to the corpses and getting like 50 experience or something like that as a, as a reward and just being blown away that something that was not at all necessary for the gameplay I could do as an option. It gave me an extra freedom and rewarded me for it. And I think from that moment on, I was just right into it. It's all of its expansions. And to this day, it just, I think fondly of all of my experiences playing it. Gotcha. That was one of Bioware's. Yes. Yes. So you know that the storytelling back then in it was also top notch. I believe that one came together right after they left Interplay. Uh, it's very possible. I'm, I'm a little foggy on their background before that because I know that they did the the Baldur's Gate games prior, but I'm not sure if they were still with Interplay at that time. Yeah, those games, the, the story with that, uh, from what I remember, initially they were developing a an RPG, what, what would become Baldur's Gate was called, I believe, Battlegrounds or something like that. Okay. And uh, Black Isle saw it and they loved what they saw and so they approached Bioware and said, how would you like to do this game but with the Dungeons and Dragons license and using Dungeons and Dragons, what at that time would have been, uh, I believe, AD&D 2E rules. Okay, all right. And so they they made the game using 2E rules and the D&D license, and they published it through Interplay, and that's that's how Baldur's Gate came together. And that was actually, that was my first experience with Thacko, which was just a terrible mess for me, because starting off on third edition and then having to figure out Thacko just made no sense. (laughs) I remember playing Icewind Dale, I believe it was, Hmm. which I played before Baldur's Gate, and putting on armor and seeing that it was going down instead of up, which... (laughs) You know, at, you know, playing RPGs on consoles, that was never really the case. Everything, you know, you put on better armor, your armor number goes up. And I was wearing the worst armor possible because it was giving me higher numbers <laughs> until I finally decided to look it up and, and smarten up. But it made that you know, first hour or two very, very difficult. Kind of going way, way back, all the way to the beginning, um, what was it? That what was it that you think made D and D and video games such a natural fit? I want to talk about this for a little bit. I think it was the freedom that D and D allowed, and I think that's something that video games are actually still chasing to this day. Um, if you think back to when you know Richard Garrett made the first or what's considered the first RPG, um, a Calabeth, uh, World of Doom, most of the games that were out at that time were arcade games. They were single screen mostly just for high score. So, you know, it was fascinating at the time that this was well beyond what technology had done in the past. It was very rigid in its structure. You you could do only a set number of one or two things, and that was it. As these people with, you know, more creative minds wanted to allow people to have freedom to do, to explore, to create, that just kept evolving, and to this day, we still see that impact. Now, you mentioned the arcade games. Do you think that uh, games like Dragon Slayer or Dragon's Lair had had any impact on what would become RPGs? I definitely think so because the key part of it was the storytelling. And again, prior to that, there really wasn't storytelling. You know, nobody really knew the story of why Donkey Kong kidnapped Princess Peach and Mario was climbing ladders. Nobody really knew why Pac-Man was in a maze with a bunch of ghosts. But then something like Dragon's Lair came out and it was okay. 
you know, this is a lot less on the interactive side where, you know, input is less frequent, but it's very heavy on storytelling. And then really the next logical progression and why Dragon's Lair was so influential was putting those two things together. I find it so interesting, kind of the relationship that D&D and video games have, seeing as how they very much evolved and came into popular culture, it seems like one right after the other. I'm not sure how, I mean, if we we take it back to Chainmail, that was what, beginning of the 70s? Yep. Back then, video games, there might have been like two or three arcade games released, and it just, it wasn't really a thing yet. Uh, that might have just been because of technological limitations. But I think it was the D&D that maybe from a generational standpoint captured the minds of these young players who then grew up to be the ones who aspired to create video games and essentially a virtual DM that allows you to play a game. But I mean, even if you want to even if you want to take it to just where Dungeons and Dragons started, uh, Dungeons and Dragons was published in 1974. And I guess the, the, the real first watershed moment of video games being a massive thing for multiple like for for homes and families would be the atari 2600 in 1977 that's only a three-year gap Mm -hmm. but at the same time if if you do look at it when the atari came out it was a lot of those single screen games Mm -hmm. um so i think i think a lot of the people that were playing the Atari at that time were the ones who were also playing Dungeons and Dragons with their friends when they weren't in front of the television. And again, as they grew up, decided that we need to put these two things together. Mm. And, you know, I I feel like Dungeons and Dragons probably spurned their creativity to allow them to think outside of the box and evolve these ideas from just very basic single screen entertainment, you know, high score type experiences to these large-scale, narrative-focused games that try to put you in a role rather than inputting commands into a single screen. Yeah, and I feel like that's a very good uh, transition to to talk about a uh, a company that not only took video games from those single screen or uh, even the, the side-scrolling that was happening at the time of, of their early days, but were also heavily influenced by Dungeons & Dragons, that being in software. Let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the impact that D&D had on John Romero and John Carmack and, and Tom Hall and all those guys who, who so famously innovated most of what modern video games are today. Well, I'm not sure how much Dungeons & Dragons was related to the actual games themselves as they were branching out into other genres. But I know that all of those people that you mentioned, they did cite Dungeons and Dragons as heavy influences for them. Um, And I think even if it is something completely different, like a a Doom or, um, you know, like a Wolfenstein, was it? Yep. Um, While they're not at all thematically what you would expect from Dungeons and Dragons, I think that their, again, their, their ideas, their creativity came from a, like the confidence that they gained playing Dungeons and Dragons thinking we can do something different and we can make it more of a power in the player's hands. Yeah, there's there's a couple times early on in their career where it seems they are very directly influenced by D&D before Wolfenstein, they actually had a game, and I can't for the life of me remember what it was, but the game you actually played as a wizard, and it was a, a first-person shooter in the Wolfenstein style. Oh, okay. But you were a wizard going around zapping what looked to be basically uh, rip-offs of orcs and beholders. Okay, well, I'm not familiar with that one, unfortunately. I guess my knowledge of id Software came into, <laughs> came into play. Even it was... Maybe when it was during the Commander Keen days and not necessarily right up to Wolfenstein, but um, not familiar with anything that they did more fantasy based. And then also uh, Quake, the original conception of Quake, uh, Quake was actually an, an NPC from their D&D game. That was the name of a character that was in their in their D&D setting, and the game was originally going to be about him, but then it transformed into what it became. Which it, many people consider one of the forefathers of the first-person shooter genre. Absolutely. And not an unnecessarily uncommon thing, because we, even nowadays we're seeing celebrities who are making things that are based on their D&D characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Vin Diesel did that with The Last Witch Hunter. Absolutely. 
So, you know, to see that it can transition to any real genre is just fantastic because it opens a lot of doors. Yeah. So kind of moving back into the realm of uh, video game RPGs, that first uh, officially licensed D&D game pools of ra- or pool of radiance uh, tell us a little bit about that you, i know you have a uh, firsthand experience uh, seeing someone play it well and that's all i had was experience getting to watch someone play it and i did watch <laughs> quite a bit of it but my cousin didn't really let me touch the game when he was playing like pool of radiance um i don't blame him for it i was just a young kid and i had no idea what was going on and even i remember the first time looking at the screen and seeing that he was in battle and it was all grid based and he was putting in menu commands i was just fascinated by it because at the time i was just used to you know super mario brothers you run from right to left and as much as i enjoyed that it was very very one-dimensional and i'm i'm seeing him play these games and he's pulling up menus and and healing and using arrows and i'm just at the time as a child i thought this is the most freedom that anybody has ever had not aware of where we would get to today but watching him play that game kind of set me on the path which led me to playing final fantasy four eventually on the super nintendo uh many people here would know it as final fantasy 2 and then wanting to take that on myself in a in a method that was maybe a little bit more approachable for a six-year-old and yeah those those early computer rpgs are really interesting to see now because the the entirety of what we would consider the game i mean just looking at it from a modern perspective is in a little tiny box off in the corner and the real game in a lot of those games is the text that that takes up most of the screen and the inputs that you have to put in to actually make stuff happen. Yeah, and that was part of the the really fascinating aspect of Pool of Radiance is that you had that, you know, little corner of the screen where you're kind of moving in first person or seeing a character image if you're in like a stat sheet. But then when it went to battle, it would load into like this giant, what I thought, giant battlefield. And it it was like, this is opening up not just one style, but you have a little bit of everything. And it gave you such such a large scope. It felt like there was just so much to do. From my perspective, it's all, it's really fascinating to see the way that video games evolved and how all that stuff kind of moved to be behind the picture that you see because i mean i'm i'm 23 years old in my entire lifetime i have only ever known video games to put the math behind the the graphics that you're seeing well and and that's i think what spurned on some of the evolutions that we see in games now um if you look at say the elder scrolls series for example Mm. the morrowind game which you know was very well received and was you know kind of something that propelled them to the mainstream you know the previous games were successful but it was Morrowind that really put them on the map when you were in combat in that game the system was rolling dice behind the scenes so while your character avatar might have an axe and you swing it and it looks like it takes up the physical space that your enemy is in you would get a miss and it was because the dice system in the background rolled a miss obviously that makes sense from a Dungeons and Dragons standpoint, but then you slowly realize that certain elements of it cannot be transitioned to video games. So Mm -hmm. as it moved forward to the games like Oblivion and Skyrim, they almost removed that dice system entirely. There was some stats for, you know, weapon proficiency and things like that, but started to accommodate the visual representation that, you know, video games allowed that Dungeons and Dragons mostly was done in your mind. Yeah, even uh, even like Knights of the Old Republic is built on, I believe uh, Knights of the Old Republic is actually built on uh, 3.5 edition yep. Dungeons and Dragons. Yep. And it, it rolls dice in the background as well. And so they're, even knowing that firing up the game a few years ago to play for the first time, I was still thrown off by the fact that, wait, I saw that hit. What do you mean that's not a hit? Yeah. <laughs> and, and it was a little bit easier to disguise in those turn-based games. Mm-hmm. But I think with, you know, the evolution of the genre these days, everybody wanting more action, more, you know, just more movement as mm-hmm. things get less turn based and more, we'll say, Western RPGs like your um, Elder Scrolls, your Fallouts, it needs to be more visually represented than in the behind the scenes. And that has forced a bit of a change there. But if you boot up something like Divinity Original Sin by Larian Studios, which is a fantastic series, and I'm super happy to hear that they're going to be doing Baldur's Gate 3, you come into an experience knowing that, okay, when it's my turn, I'm going to pick actions from a menu. It's going to 
have more roles. It's going to have more of a D&D feel because it's not going for that all out straight action gameplay. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, Pillars of Eternity? So I think Pillars of Eternity um, is a perfect example of a game that is striving more for the storytelling. Uh, the gameplay itself is not as not as familiar to gamers today that are based on more of an action feedback system. It is a little bit more turn-based. It's more of an homage to Baldur's Gate than the current evolution into something new. And it features the king of modern D&D himself, Matt Mercer. <laughs> you had to bring that up. Absolutely. I do want to point out, though, that while it does seem pretty obvious to compare tabletop games to RPGs, we do see a lot of that influence bleeding into other games as well and into other genres altogether. You what see things... Good... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask, uh, what are some good examples of that? Well, things like Grand Theft Auto, for example, is one of the biggest, you know, biggest video games in the industry. Prior to its fame it started as just you know a little bit more top down games of that genre didn't really have leveling systems didn't have upgrades these are things that were incorporated into the games to give them a little bit more variety and a little bit more depth and you hear it nowadays you you see things like borderlands which is a shooter but a lot of people are now starting to classify it in the subset of shooter rpgs because you don't just go down a tunnel like you did in Doom shooting things and you are the same character from when you boot up the game to when you complete it. But you are now getting these characters where you get to increase stats. You get to put on different equipment sets for them. And these are things that were definitely in the RPG genre first and have just kind of spilled out everywhere that you see them in order to just fill them out a little bit more. Uh, even things like MMOs are bleeding into car racing with games like The Crew. So, you know, these elements are now starting to take part in all of gaming, not just RPG gaming. Yeah, you could very easily, actually, you pretty much have to concede that the the idea of an open world game, whatever genre you put it in, starts with Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah, absolutely, because otherwise it would just be a driving game or it would just be a basketball game. You know, nowadays mm -hmm. you pick up Madden or FIFA and you have a full career story mode where you are individually leveling up different, you know, uh, abilities that the character has, say in a basketball game, three-point shooting or dribbling. I remember on the Super Nintendo, I got you know, NBA Live 94 or something, and it was just basketball and that was it, you know, and we were happy with it then. But we didn't realize how much more people would strive for as these games just evolved over time. Yeah, yeah. Now, something that I find really, really interesting and I, I want to talk with you about. So Dungeons & Dragons um, was big here in the U.S. and in, I believe, some in Europe, although I don't I don't really have much of a frame of reference for how well it did over in, in Europe uh, in its early days or how well it did in your homeland of Canada. But one place where I'm pretty sure D&D did not cross over all that much was Japan. Mm -hmm. Now, Japan also developed this this open world conception of gaming but seemingly without the influence of Dungeons and Dragons uh, what do you think it was that that kind of drove that development from from Japanese developers well it was six degrees of separation really mm -hmm. uh, if you look at it you can almost draw a line from Final Fantasy which is one of the bigger names in in the industry as well to those first D&D games that were made back in the day because Final Fantasy they claim that they were influenced by wizardry. Now, wizardry came from these old RPGs 1988, no, not not I believe it was 19 1981 I want to say wizardry first came out. So, it was taking influence from D&D itself and while these people might not have had Dungeons and Dragons, they had wizardry. So now it just becomes like a six degree of separation. Is it six degrees of separation? Or just degrees of separation. Sorry. <laughs> six degrees is typically associated with uh, Kevin Bacon. I knew I knew it from somewhere. Sorry about that. But you, yes, it is It is a domino effect. So they might not have needed to have D&D &D to get D&D &D influences from the things that were born from it. And uh, just for clarification's sake, uh, Wizardry Proving Grounds of the Mad Overlord came out in 1981. 
Okay, so I, I managed to land on it eventually. <laughs> yes, and that was for the, let's see, I believe that was for the Apple II and those, yep, Apple II, Commodore 64. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's interesting how, you know, you, you see D&D influence people in, in North America who make these games which influence Japan, and, and then those games in turn come back to influence american games it's this it's it's a weird cycle but i i feel like what we keep coming back to is that the beginning of that cycle is advanced dungeons dungeons and dragons from tsr in 1978 79 1980 yes i'm confident that we would have come to this conclusion at some point as long as dungeons and dragons existed Mm -hmm. Uh, perhaps the people that were involved maybe it wouldn't have been richard garriott who made it after being exposed to dungeons and dragons at computer camp but it might have been somebody and eventually it would have all come from D. now kind of moving our timeline back into the the realm of the 90s uh it's it's at this point that we start to see well for one thing the decline of tsr as a business and and D as a brand and you start to see the the beginnings of video games almost in a way competing with dungeons and dragons i don't know if it was necessarily competing i think it really was just a, a a time in people's lives i know for myself i fell out of playing dungeons and dragons for maybe five years or so because i got to an age in life where it was just not easy to get together around a table with people mm-hmm. jobs school School, starting families, things like that. At the same time, you had things like MMOs cropping up or online gaming, which became very easy to get a social element to your gaming because you could just log on from your place when you had you know, a few minutes and play. I know that's why my friends and I got a lot into things like World of Warcraft, because we could get together in lieu of a tabletop session because of convenience. And maybe it's not the most ideal thing, but convenience goes a long way. As we move from kind of that 90s time into the 2000s, and, and D&D starts to reinvent itself, I, I guess to, to become more relevant to tastes at the time, how do we see video games in turn influencing Dungeons & Dragons? I don't know how much it can be substantiated, but there is a lot of people that are in agreement that 4th edition rules, which were actually something that I was excited for, bought the player's handbook, uh, I think even the first week it came out, um, but never really got into, was built to be more accessible. Uh, a little bit of ease of access to just get people in the door faster. Whereas old D&D, it might take a little more time to teach everybody the rules, get everybody together. It was trying to just imitate that convenience level. Yeah, and there was a lot of... Now, I've never played a game of 4th edition saying this. This is just me looking at uh, rule books and hearing other people describe it. There seemed to be a lot of, like cooldown abilities and more characters had what they in the in the fourth edition rule books called powers more so than they had like skill with a sword or anything like that and it, it seemed to be in fact i, I once had a, a dungeon master say D fourth edition was world of warcraft and i didn't like it and i think that's a clear influence there because at the time world of warcraft was near its peak in subscriber base and there was a very large number of people that were getting into role playing as a result of it i know i had friends who prior to that would only play sports games and first-person shooters, for example, and World of Mm -hmm. Warcraft introduced them to the role-playing genre. It wouldn't surprise me if, at that time, 4th Edition wanted to capitalize on what was the hot trend at the time. Absolutely. I mean, like you said, it it only makes sense. Now, at this point in time, we've got a lot of games that are really setting kind of the benchmark of immersion and narrative excellence. But we also have one of the most popular and most accessible editions of Dungeons & Dragons available on the market. How do you think those two things kind of interact with each other? And I'll give my thoughts after you give yours. Well, I think, again, at the same time, they don't necessarily interact with each other directly. I think that... The level of accessibility in Dungeons & Dragons is now meant to just garner a new fan base from people who want 
the freedom that video games can't give them. Because as much as a game like Witcher 3, for example, can let you do almost anything you could think of within the game world, it is still restricted by a level of rules. And people want to be able to do whatever they want. It just seems like a natural progression that, you know, as the game industry moves towards more freedom, if a player wants that freedom immediately, it's available to them in tabletop. And yeah, well, I mean, I guess my thoughts on this would be while we are really pushing the envelope of what a video game can be and what a narrative within a video game can be and how immersive video games can be, at the end of the day, I don't ever think we will be able to create any kind of game that could simulate what a group of three to seven human beings sitting around a table rolling dice can come up with. And in that way, I do not think there will ever be a time where video games can ever render D&D obsolete. And I agree with you fully, and I think that's why uh, things like these websites, the Roll20.net and the Fantasy... um, Jeez, I just forgot the name. Fantasy Grounds? Fantasy Grounds, thank you, are going to start to expand in popularity. Because these people who are used to logging on to, you know, a digital world like World of Warcraft, for example... Um, I've been off that for a long time, can now log on to one of these websites and just like being able to quickly log in and play a game with their friends online can start playing Dungeons and Dragons on a website, but also again, beyond you know the inconveniences of life, not that they're necessarily bad, but work, family, that prevent you from having the time to get together, you can now use these websites to be your video game with your party as the players. Yeah, there's there is very much in in those those realms of online tabletops, of virtual tabletops, there's very much a video gamification of D&D just in the way that it's played not necessarily in the in the rule set or anything like that and it would not surprise me if some enterprising soul in fact someone's probably already trying to think of a way to do this would kind of create or recreate that that like GM mode from Neverwinter Nights but with a lot more options and a lot more different ways to customize your world and your characters and essentially create a video game specific to their D&D group that they are driving. I can see it. I can see it. Adding more options, uploading your own images, creating avatars. Um, I think a lot of it would be, again, on the visual side. So letting the DM have as many options as they want to log in and say, make dungeon maps, make uh, um, uh, encounter tables, uh, and just create everything that they would digitally that can easily be distributed as well as filtered because you don't want the players to have access to everything through these systems. And if we want to get a little bit sci-fi with this, how do you think technology like VR could impact uh, D&D moving forward? I think we're a long way away from that. (laughs) Uh, It's definitely something that would be possible in a very similar way to what we just described in a web browser, but we're talking about systems that would then have to be capable of rendering all of these worlds so that not only do you create them and and play in them, that you can almost essentially walk into them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's that technology being accessible to your average D&D player is is most definitely a long way off. Now, with that said, I can can see, like, apparently Elon Musk is really into D&D. I can see him and a bunch of his friends coming up with something ridiculous like that within the next few years. But for the rest of us, that, that technology, maybe Maybe our grandchildren will be able to uh, create fully realized VR D&D worlds. Honestly, I hope not myself, (laughs) because as much Mm -hmm. as these things are convenient, the more that we get into that type of world that's being created, even in VR, the more it takes away from the desire to get together and be social. And that's probably the one thing from video games in general these days that I don't necessarily enjoy as much, is how much their attempt to create social gaming has kind of counteractively worked against just regular socializing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would love it if my grandchildren... who are playing, I don't know, 7th, 8th edition, whatever it may be, um, still love that camaraderie that you get from sitting around a table with your friends, having a laugh, eating some snacks, 
Uh, again, something that a video game can, can't replicate, in my opinion. And I, I've discussed this on the show before. For me personally, I have a terrible time, even on something that's that's very limited uh, graphically, like uh, like Roll Twenty. I have a very difficult time engaging in D and D the way I engage when I'm in a room with other people and I'm able to to see their facial expressions and read their body language and and have that that togetherness and that camaraderie that that comes with D&D and that really kind of drives me to the table every time. Do you think that by having that more primitive gaming or sorry, primitive graphic style, it's actually giving you an image rather than allowing you to create that in your mind? That is an interesting question and I I'm having trouble answering it, really. I the thing about Roll Twenty that that and this is just Roll Twenty specifically. I've seen people do amazing things with it. I've seen people like superimpose their own created maps onto Roll Twenty and create a very immersive atmosphere. But the way that my friends and I play it, because none of us are all that talented in the the visual arts aspect, uh, a lot of times it is just a white grid with some tokens that are just images we pulled off of Google images and that that does kind of kill the immersion for me yeah and if you didn't have that image as you know a basic image might be detrimental to you when you get together with your friends beyond the the visual cues of seeing their facial expressions and their their body language reactions to what you're doing you know you can describe an an ogre that you're gonna face and in your mind it could be fantastic but as soon as you put an image on a screen for it as primitive as it is that's that ogre that you're thinking of. Yeah. So it's, in a way, limiting your creativity, your ability in your mind. I mean, I think this is why most people say that oftentimes a book is better than a movie version of it. Because mm-hmm. your mind can make it as great as you want it to be. Whereas a video game, or sorry, a, a rudimentary image on D, like Roll20, like a video game, gave you that predetermined parameter. Whether it's a good graphic or a bad graphic, that's what it is. But in mm-hmm. your mind, it can be whatever you want it to be. Absolutely. So let's talk, as we're winding down, I want to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit about um, Pixels and Dragons, your your brand new uh, actual play D&D podcast. Very brand new. First episode went up two days before this recording. Uh, who Who's DMing that for you? Uh, it's actually my good friend Alex. Uh, he's actually not been a DM very often. It's a fairly new endeavor for him, but he has to be probably one of the most creative, entertaining people I know that it just made sense that if we were going to put a product out there that other people were going to get to listen to, that once he gains a little bit more familiarity with DMing and, and the mechanics of it, and he can really just let his personality shine, I think will end up being the most entertaining that it could possibly be. Yeah, that is, that's something that all new DMs have to struggle with. Uh, maintaining order and keeping everything going and keeping track of everything, but also remembering to have fun and be themselves and be creative. Yeah, and it might show in the first couple episodes that there is a little bit of trepidation in it, uh, that he is still kind of coming into his own. But I do firmly believe that as we move forward that it will be a very entertaining side of him that will come through. I mean, we've seen that. Both of us are very big fans of Knights and Nerds. I've seen a lot of growth... Uh, from that cast as players, and then I've also seen a lot of a lot of growth from Tim as not just a, a DM but an entertainer. I, I'm going to be honest. When I first listened to Knights and Nerds, I did so because I wanted to support Tim, but I wasn't really a fan of the characters, N- not the people playing them. They're all wonderful people, I'm sure. I, I've never actually met them in real life, uh, but I wasn't a big fan of the characters. But I stuck with it because, again, I wanted to support the show, and I was starting to get into the story. And you can definitely see that as it progressed as you're getting even just as little as three four episodes in people start to settle into their characters they start to take on those personalities and it's almost like the microphone in front of them has now become secondary and they're just losing themselves in it and that's when they really start to grow on grow on you so if they're listening to this and and they're a little offended that i said i didn't like the characters let me assure them that it only took a few episodes before now i can't get enough absolutely yeah they i mean i even talked about this with with candace on this show when when that show first started and she said her name and and i heard their role play i was just like i am not going to like these characters i actually was i even was listening to that episode where you spoke to her (laughs) and it was almost like you were mimicking my exact thoughts because 
no matter what game I play, it's almost like ticket for entry has to be at least R- like traditional RP names. Mm-hmm. And I heard the names and, and I was like, this is going to be too many puns. I'm not going to I'm not going to be able to enjoy this. And it was you. It was mirroring my thoughts on it, my feelings towards it. Yeah, you can you can ask my wife and roommate and the other players in my uh, my D and D game that I'm running currently how overly serious I can be about D and D sometimes. Well, and and I mean. <laughs> that's great from certain standpoints but at the same time you also got to have fun and i think that if they were not so comfortable with it it wouldn't have come through in the product so even though it's not necessarily what i would do i think it allowed them to gain that comfort more quickly and let them really just dive into it absolutely and they've made a a great product uh just a little over a year later uh they have a great show i'm actually i have the privilege of being on an episode with tim that we're actually going to record uh tomorrow one of the the time we're recording dm episodes yep yep i'm gonna be on a behind the screen episode with him as as part of the uh kickstarter campaign that they ran okay i'm gonna have to listen to that episode i don't normally listen to the dm episodes Mm -hmm. uh simply because of the threat of any sort of potential spoilers. Um, oh, it's all spoilers. <laughs> but I will make an exception because I would love to hear more of the two of you and your banter back and forth as your first episode of Rolling Bones with him was fantastic. Oh, Tim is a great guy and I love talking with him. It's it's so much fun to talk to Tim and I, I look forward to doing it again. We're not going to turn this into the Tim podcast, are we? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Roland Tim's. I'm Ryan Howard. I mean, I have a lot of admiration for Tim. Uh, mm-hmm. I won't deny it at all. Knights and Nerds was a very heavy influence on my desire to want to create Pixels and Dragons. So mm-hmm. if I can even be half as entertaining as they are, I will consider it a accomplishment. And they inspired me to do this show as well. Uh, before this show, I was a music podcaster. And uh, hearing their passion for D&D and, and comparing it with my own passion for it just made me want to made me want to enter this world of D&D podcasting and, and make this show. And so that's why Tim ended up being my first interview was, in a way, he was one of the reasons why I started doing Rolling Bones. And I love hearing that. Much like early days of video gaming, where it wasn't necessarily the cool thing to be a gamer there's been some stigma with tabletop as well that maybe it wasn't the cool thing to do and the more that we hear these stories the more that we hear of people that are you know in some sort of media entertainment expressing their admiration for it and just pursuing it the more that i think it can break off those shackles and become something that we all proudly follow and it's interesting that you made that point because uh, one thing I want to end with, kind of bringing it back to the original topic, in my lifetime, I've seen video games go from something that people are very much stigmatized for playing to something that seemingly everyone has played at least once in their life. Video games have very much become a mainstream thing. It seems like every every kid, every, every teenage guy goes through a phase of playing video games. People play video games all the time adults kids older people video games have just become a part of our culture and we're beginning to see similar things happen with dungeons and dragons because we were very much in a second golden age of DD, and because of very influential very famous people like joe manganello and and the big show and vin diesel and all of these uh celebrities that people look up to and are familiar with coming out or having been out their entire careers and lives as fans of D&D is something that's driving a lot of people to the hobby. So I just wanted to kind of hear your thoughts on that as, as we close here. Well, I mean, like I said, I I like that. I think that a lot of us do play these games, but maybe didn't necessarily broadcast that as much. And as more of these people come out, and I think I even watched a video not too long ago about Joe Manganiello, where he would go to sick kid hospitals and teach the kids to play Dungeons and Dragons and play with them. Um, And I thought that that was just remarkable um, how he wanted to connect with these children, not just because he's a celebrity, but through a form of entertainment that he could bring with him in just the form of a couple books and dice. And I think that as more and more of these celebrities and and especially people in the limelight open up to it, the more that other people will openly express it, find new teams, new partners, new campaigns, 
we might even start seeing people advertising more on the internet of just looking for parties that, you know, just, you know, I'm in my local area, I'm looking for people to play Dungeons Dragons, to the point that we'll realize that not just a majority of people play it, but that they've always played it, and now they're just free to express it in the mainstream. Absolutely. And look, I, I've been through the nightmare of trying to find a group, and uh, I will say that the proliferation of people playing it because of Joe Manganello or because of Stranger Things or however they got here, I am A-OK with it. Just means that I'll always be able to find players. Well, maybe you should find a few developers and start a little bit of a project like a almost like a dating app, but just for people to find other D&D players in their local area, and it'll ping off other people who have this app looking for them. I, I would do that, but I have been beat to the punch by uh, Jackie Zanto with her app Crawler. You know what? Now that you mention it, I do believe that I've heard that name before, but I've never looked into it. So maybe not as great of an idea as I thought. <laughs> yep, and she she was actually, again, a previous guest on the show. Missing episodes left, right, and center. <laughs> what what was the episode that you that you uh, started Rolling Bones with? It was definitely it the, the first episode, episode with Tim. Yep. Gotcha. And I, I have listened to um, a number of them now. Uh, I, mm. I listened to your episode with uh, Gunner. I listened to the Larry episode. Um, I forget the guy's name from but from Planet X. I did only, though, start listening recently, which is why I haven't listened to all of them yet, because mm. they're all in my backlog to listen to at work. But I just haven't been able to get through all of them because there's so many podcasts out there. Yeah. I, I completely understand. I my podcast queue. I am just now in the month of July with with my podcasts. So, <laughs> yeah, you got a long way to go. And I believe, are you caught up on Knights and Nerds yet? I am caught up on Knights and Nerds. I prioritize that podcast. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, maybe maybe Pixels and Dragons will make it onto your playlist. Absolutely. I I'm yet to check out the first episode, but I will do so now. Wonderful. Gotcha. Well, as we're wrapping up, Sandro, do you have anything to plug? We'll definitely drop a link to uh, to Pixels and Dragons as well as uh, Pixel Opinions. Uh, is there anything else you'd, you'd like to, to plug? Not really. Uh, the nice thing about PixelOpinions.com is that we do have links and tabs to all of our other projects there. So if you are looking for our Facebook page, our YouTube page, the Pixels and Dragons itself has a tab on the top bar. Uh, you can find it all at that hub at PixelOpinions.com. Absolutely. Gotcha. Well, guys, that is going to do it for today today's episode it's been great talking to you sandro this this was a, a really cool episode to just talk about video games and and D, &D two things that i'm very very passionate about and next week we've got another uh, another cool one for you guys ladies and gentlemen uh we have none other than luke hart of the dm layer uh, that, that great YouTube channel that uh, DM Dave likes to promote. He will be coming on. We'll be talking about his content and uh, what it's like to, to make D&D content in the very crowded YouTube market. But until then, remember, always make Player 2 use the third-party controller. I'll see you next time.